So we'll do part two of the Renewed Mind this afternoon. And also, uh, if you got something that jumped out to you or have some questions, we'll take some questions at the end and we'll maybe do, uh, we'll do some ministry. So the subject was the Renewed Mind, and we said that the mind of God created the universe, and, or God had a very specific intent when he created the universe. It wasn't just this, I'm just going to uh, arbitrarily create the planet, that um, he didn't create something out of nothing, he created out of what he desired for the earth. And God gave us an aspect of his personality at creation, and that image, that likeness was on display as Adam named the animals, and he named the animals, and he named them because uh, out of his, uh, his, his, out of being under the dominion of God, he understood and he thought correctly exactly as God intended him to think. And then, of course, we saw that thinking incorrectly or believing the lies of the enemy forever changed world history and also altered the DNA. And where Adam failed in believing the lie of the enemy, Jesus won the victory in, in, uh, in overcoming that, in not only uh, speaking the word of God, speaking the word back to the word of God, but going to the cross, obviously, going to the cross, defeating hell, hell death, and the grave, and winning dominion. But we also saw the reality that uh, the mind, even in uh, not the state that God intended, has the ability to create the most brilliant things. Now, how much more those with the mind of Christ? And we saw at the core of uh, Jesus' teaching, or that Jesus came as the second Adam, and it, uh, the first thing we know, the, the first message that he uh, came to bring was repent, change the way you think, have a conversion, change your direction, change your purpose, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we emphasized, the, the, or we talked about the truth, that essential to our discipleship process is the renewed mind. And we made two points that are really important to keep in mind in our value system as we walk with the Lord. The mind was intended to be in a state of change. The mind was, the renewed, the mind in Christ was to, supposed to be uh, uh, in, the mind was intended to be in a, a state of continual change. The mind must be elastic, must be flexible to receive the things of God. And we looked at uh, uh, Mark, the second chapter, where Jesus makes, where the Pharisees and John's disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, why are you not fasting right now? And we saw that their thinking was incongruent with what Jesus was doing in the earth at the time. And because of their incongruent thinking, their, their, their thinking presented an obstacle of receiving and participating in what God was doing in the earth. So there was always supposed to be a progression of truth, and uh, I didn't necessarily say it like this, but of course we can define our mind as a, as a wineskin and a canvas for the things of God. Our mind can be a canvas or a wineskin for the things of God, and it was meant to be in this state of perpetual change. And uh, we saw that you cannot receive beyond your place of thinking. And everything's not possible if our mind is not in a continual state of change. The good news is this. No one's arrived. No one's perfect. And uh, uh, no one is a state where they just kind of get everything. But we must position ourselves to be in a continual progression of truth. And, we, of course, we said that the, the book is closed, the Bible, Scripture, canon is closed. But the will of God comes to us progressive. The will of God comes to us progressive 
And, you know, use the analogy of when you speak to a child. A child can understand what you're saying because they understand the English language, but they have no comprehension on how to apply it. So the will of God comes to us progressive, and we saw that the, the danger of not progressing in truth or understanding in the things of God is this, that if we don't progress fully as God intends, then we cease to become relevant in that area, or we can only have the fruit of what principle will, will, will bring us. Good ideas bring fruit. God ideas, I've learned, change the world. And we saw that God gives us truth upon, uh, precept upon precept, truth upon truth, and it doesn't make the old, the old wine obsolete because the new wineskin, which is your mind again, holds both the old and the new. And we cannot look at God or we cannot relate to God through one, un- through one understanding or one, 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 uh, one perspective of revelation, if you will. And we, we close this morning by, by looking at what was, what is one of the objectives, I believe, of the transformed mind. In Genesis 2, we saw that Adam did not stop for a minute and pray and ask God what he was supposed to name the animals. And in uh, Matthew uh, is it 7 or 8, it's 8, I think it was. Matthew 8, we saw that G- the leper comes to Jesus, and when, Jesus, when the leper comes to Jesus, uh, uh, he goes, if you're willing, I want to be healed. And Jesus says, I am willing. He doesn't say that God is willing. So a goal of God in our life is that as our minds and our hearts are synchronized, and again, I'm not suggesting there's not times that we should, we should take time to pray into things. Really, I have an agreement with the Lord, and um, it's this. It's that uh, I'll, do, I'll do anything as much as I know he asked me to do if I believe it's him. Now, sometimes I, I have to take a little while to make sure it's him. <laughs> but as long as it's him, I'll do it, you know. And then there's times because my mind wasn't quite progressed to certain things that God was asking me. I thought it was a devil, but it was God. <laughs> Years ago, I was writing a check for a missionary for our ministry. And the Lord, like, I want you to triple that. I said, the devil is a liar. And I thought to myself, I don't think the devil would ask me to give more to a missionary. <laughs> but what was happening? God was trying to, he was revealing truth to me in degrees. He was trying to begin to stretch an area of my future he had given me a promise of. But all I knew is what I could see in front of me. And all I knew was what was in, what, all I knew how to think in that moment is what was in my bank account and how I was going to make it for the rest of the month, how we're going to make it as a ministry the rest of the month. And so what he's doing, he gives you truth in degrees and he offers you invitation. It's, uh, what we're going to talk about this afternoon is how is the mind, how does the mind, um, how does God help shift our mind? And that's one of the ways. God cannot shift your mind without you taking risk. Just not possible. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't mention this, but uh, just back to this concept of truth in degrees. It's been about two years as in August, as in the Philippines. I always remember this. as in a hotel room in the Philippines, just kind of talking to the Lord, really asking him questions and uh, 
he starts just unraveling all this stuff to me about certain things he's asking me to do. And, and I'm going, man, this, this gives me some vision. This gives me some, I don't know where I'm going now. Praise the Lord. I'm thinking, you could have told me this about three years ago, two years ago. Would have really helped, helped me. And he said to me, he goes, you weren't ready. Oh, okay. I thought I was ready. <laughs> so it's like he gives it to us when we need it, you know. And so um, what I want to focus on is that uh, Roberta was going to ask the question, how is the mind transformed then, right? That was your question. <laughs> right, that was your question, right? Here's the foundation. Everything begins from this foundation. Everything in the kingdom of God is, is built on the foundation of your identity in him, the favor that he gives you as a son or daughter. You have to look. I'm, I'm learning this. Certainly haven't arrived at this. But you have to look at every situation that you're facing today through the, through the lens of the favor of God that God has given you. Everything must be looked at through that lens. How you see God and how you think God thinks about you will define your future forever. So number one, the power of... It, we're, we're built on this lifestyle of the power of fellowship and encounter. You can only represent someone or speak for someone to the level of your knowledge and understanding. It's hard to represent a God you do not know. And I believe God wants to deliver the people of God from representing a God they've heard about to a God they know. I love Matthew 17. Well, I love a lot of different scriptures, but one of the things that, anyway, I'm not, I'll look at it, the story. So, within the context of a life of fellowship, one of the fruits is, is that uh, we grow in the knowledge of God and we have encounter after encounter after encounter, after encounter. I think you mentioned it last night. There's a beautiful, there's uh, two, two of the apostles talk about this. John talks about this and Peter talks about this where he goes, and we were eyewitnesses to the glory of God. John talked about it in John 1 and Peter talked about it in his epistle. He goes, we didn't, basically he says, what we were talking to you about, we knew firsthand. It's a beautiful thing. Second Peter 3.18, I love how it says this. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, the best definition I've heard of, of grace over the last year is this. You might have another one, but this is the best one. Grace is God's overwhelming desire to treat humanity as though they have never sinned. And Grace is God's overwhelming desire to treat humanity as though they've never sinned. Grace frees you to live from that performance thing that when you've like totally blown it, that you don't get into this deep, dark pit and you can joyfully walk through all your issues. 
by the grace of God, hopefully I'm not the same person I was last year when I stood in front of you. Did I have some issues back then? Yeah, I did. But I'm growing in the knowledge of God, and I'm growing in all things, and grace gives me the ability to like myself even as I'm walking through those things. I'm not talking about, you know, I don't have any skeletons in my closet. Come live with me for a day. I'm just talking about we all have areas where we recognize even yesterday, I was, had this conversation, and I hung up the phone, and the Lord was like, you shouldn't have said that. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> Happens a lot, huh? <laughs> so Peter says, grow in the grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. So we have to see encounters. We have to learn how to relate to God from a place of encounter. We have to learn how to relate to God from a place of encounter and learn how to shift our approach as we encounter God. Look at um, Mark 10. This is really interesting stuff. Everybody with me? My God. Now they came to Jericho, this is uh, Mark 10, verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and, he's went, and as he went out from Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude, and blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Verse 48. Then they warmed him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, excuse me, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood and commanded him to be called. Then he called the blind man, saying, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. And so Jesus answers him, What do you want me to do for you? Then the blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. The reason I'm reading this story is keep this backdrop in mind. We must learn how to live from what God does in encounter and what he releases in encounter. Uh, This is a, a subject that the Lord's been for years now, been opening up to me. I used to think, oh, wasn't that amazing? God touched me in this service, or this happened, or he spoke this to me here. Oh, that was amazing. Not realizing that in those moments I call of divine intersections and theophanies, which theophany is simply the visitation of God to humanity, the unlocking of who God is, the personal experience of God, it's part of a larger narrative. And uh, just as a side note, this narrative begins here with... um, the multitude. There's a phrase in the Gospels that I've noticed over the last year, and it's that the Gospel writer, not only Mark, but also Matthew, uh, I haven't picked it up as much in Luke, maybe it's in there, but you see he will constantly emphasize this, this idea that there was a multitude around Jesus. There was a, quite a number of people around Jesus. And I had this thought as we entered into the new year when I was just kind of meditating on some of the things that God was saying is, and it's this, 
many times you can be around Jesus, but still never receive or believe who he is. And I've discovered that a lot of people know what it's like to be around Jesus. Not many people know how to receive everything they need from him. And here's the other thing that's interesting about this. In this multitude, there were probably people there that had a need. There were probably people there that maybe needed their light bill fixed. There were probably people there that needed their marriage fixed. Maybe they had depression. But what's very, very interesting about this is there is only one man setting Jesus' agenda here. And what's interesting is, and and you you have to look at it from the character and the nature of who Jesus is. Jesus is not cruel. Jesus is not mean. Jesus is not uncaring. But he doesn't stop and go, hey, daughter, what's going on? What's going on, sister? Let's say, how's that business going? He doesn't stop. He just keeps walking. And there's this fascinating, this, now this is very clear to me in the Gospels. There are times, absolutely, I don't discount it. It's happened in my life. I'm sure it's happened in your life. You're not even thinking about something. You've never prayed about it. It's never even been a half a thought. But because he's just a good father, he goes, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do this for you. Here you go. You're not even thinking about it, but I know this will be a good thing for your life. This is going to be part of your life. But the, that happens. But many, many times, there, uh, the, you, you'll never find once in Scripture that someone came to Jesus and go, hey, I'd like to receive a healing. Him go, no, just, just not my day. He maybe, and many times, because he was trying to pull something greater out of them than just a healing, just a provision... He was trying to pull them up to a higher place to shift their thinking, but every single time they walked away getting what they needed. He never turned anyone away. That's the point. He never go, oh, you know, it's not the will of God. Why am I saying that? Because your faith can set God's agenda towards your life. So there's a multitude here, probably people, I want to suggest to you in this crowd, had issues. even in this, this, this little group here this afternoon, there's probably some of you, you have, I mean, I've been in big crowds, small crowds, whatever it is, I'm amazed at some of the things that people are walking through in that crowd. You know, in a crowd of 20 people, sometimes 85% of them have some sort of sickness in their body. Amazing to me. And Bartimaeus... And Mark describes him as this blind Bartimaeus. So he describes him as this blind. Bartimaeus goes, Jesus! He's real Pentecostal. That's how I see. That's how I read the story. Jesus! You know. Son of David, have mercy on me. That's really important part of the narrative because he is saying that he believes Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. That's really important to the story because Back then, a lot of people might have believed he was a good teacher. A lot of people might have been around him because he was, uh, he was a healer. He was a miracle worker. But many of them realized the reality that if they claimed him as the Messiah, they were crossing a line there. And a line that would probably cost them. So, this is, so in a sense, we can say that Bartimaeus was a believer. Thing is... Jesus does not stop the first time he screams. So he says it again. Jesus! It's even more funny because 
the people who told them to be quiet the first time when Jesus stops, they'll go, hey, get up, he's calling you. It's fascinating. They're not realizing they can get what they need too. I would have gotten right in line. Hopefully I would have. But what's even, there's two interesting things. At first they tell them to be quiet, and then they go, oh, Jesus is calling you. Go, go, go. Anyway. He stand, first thing, as he's standing, he throws aside his garment. What's happening there? This whole life he's known as blind Bartimaeus. Whole life, what, what is he? We talked about this morning a little, a little bit of this concept. Bartimaeus is at the mercy of the world system. Bartimaeus will not eat. He will not have any provision unless someone in the world gives him something. Unless someone in the world gives him 20 bucks, whatever it is. It's a few coin to eat. He's at the mercy, if he's going to make it, to other people. He's at the mercy of the world around him. His whole identity is caught up in every day I have to figure out if somebody's going to have mercy on me and if somebody's going to receive my begging. In that moment, prophetically, he throws that garment off saying, I'm not a beggar anymore. But here's what's even more interesting. Jesus asked him, what do you want? Again, the the rhetorical question can be, is Jesus mean and is Jesus cruel? No. Why is he asking him a question? I don't fully understand everything Jesus is doing here, but I'm convinced of this. Bartimaeus is looking for a healing. He's looking to see. He's looking for his physical eyes to see. If you're blind your whole life, not any fun. Jesus not only wants to give him a healing, but he wants to shift his thinking and his identity from that day forward. See, when God reveals a part of himself to us, when he reveals an aspect of himself to us, not only is he trying to open up something to us, but he's trying to help that nature that he's expressing to us, that he's opening to us. He wants it to make it part of our consciousness and our thinking and change us forever. So he goes, what do you want? And he goes, master, that I may receive my sight. What is, what is Jesus' response to him? He says, go your way, your faith has made you well. What do I believe he's telling him? See, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus does not want to give you welfare. He wants to teach you how to fare well. He's saying to him, listen, I'm asking you because I'm trying to teach you that your faith that you're putting in me right now to receive healing is the same faith that you can use the rest of your life. No longer do you have to beg and go, please give me something, help me. No longer do you have to beg. Everything you have need of, you can ask of me, and I'll be your provider from this day forward. And you see, what's happening here is you're taking off your identity as a beggar, and you're taking on the identity that I can be your total source of total supply. So what is he trying to teach him? He's trying to teach him, I'm not just trying to release a healing to you, but I'm trying to introduce you how to think from this day forward. I'm trying to teach you how to live from a place of encounter. I don't just want to give you a healing. I don't just want to, 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 for you to receive an impartation. I'm trying to teach you how to think from this day forward. You see it in the story of, of, of uh, God visiting Moses. I, I use that story all the time. 
Because I love it. He goes, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God who hears. And he goes, and I'm, I'm the God who hears. I love that. He's the God who hears. He hears everything you say. He said, I'm the God who hears. He goes, and I've heard the cry of my people. And so what is he doing? He is revealing an aspect of his character and his nature. I'm the God who hears, and I'm the God who delivers people from oppression. And then what does he tell him? The aspect that I'm revealing about myself is the aspect that now I'm calling you to represent to the nation of Israel from this day forward. But what he revealed about himself in that moment was not just a one-time moment. He wanted to shift Moses' thinking from that day forward. But what's going to happen? He knows there's delay and bring him out of Egypt. But what? He delivers them out of Egypt. What happens? They go, uh-oh, Red Sea, here comes the, here comes, uh, here comes the Egyptians after me. What's he going to be? The God who delivers again. Over and over again, the aspect that he introduced himself uh, to Moses with, he wants Moses to lean into that by the faith of God to go, hey, it looks impossible, but remember, he's the God who delivers. So I want you to, I want to encourage you that as you interact with the Lord, as you, as you have, in, have, have experiences with the Lord, as you hear the voice of the Lord speak, he is not just doing something for a moment. You know, I always use this example. If you're, you know, you walk into a meeting or you walk into your prayer room at home, whatever it may be, and you're, you're kind of overwhelmed, and suddenly you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Here's the peace of God. Oh, thank you. Got me in the right mindset. He's not just trying to give you peace in that moment. He's not trying to give you temporary relief. He's trying to teach you how to live from that place. He's way better than just giving you a momentary relief. He's trying to teach you how to do life from that place. So through fellowship encounter, he shifts our mind. Here's the second thing. As we walk with him, and I think I touched on this last year as well, but thank you, Lord. Yeah, I think we should talk about it again. He invites us to follow him in a place we have not gone before. He invites us to follow him in a place we have not gone before. Here's what I'm convinced the longer I walk with the Lord. Things that we don't think we could ever do, we can do. Once he asks us, like, I've discovered, I like, I can never do that. And then he asks you to do it, and you realize, well, I can do I can do all things. That's why your mind needs to change. Because if your mind is not changing, then everything's not possible. Look at uh, Matthew, the 19th chapter. Matthew, the 19th chapter. Everyone okay? We'll start in verse 16. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Good teacher, what good thing shall I, may, shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if, but if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, why do I still lack? 
here's what's interesting, is this young man comes to Jesus, and uh, he comes to him, and he asks him, he's like, I want to inherit eternal life. And he goes through the list of the commandments. And what's interesting there is that uh, the young man goes, I did all that. And Jesus does not rebuke him. Jesus doesn't go, no, 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 no. I saw you, you were, you were kind of looking, looking at that girl the wrong way. He goes, eh, you lied a little bit the other day. He goes, he doesn't rebuke him for any of that stuff. He actually he goes, okay, you've done that. But there's still one thing. One of the things that is healthy to keep in front of our conscience is this. First of all, I want to suggest to you, one of the reasons this young man is rich is because he is following the commandments. That's another thing. Once you start having fruit and producing certain things in the kingdom of God, there is a tendency to believe you have now arrived. And there's also a tendency to put your affections in certain things. And I have found this true over and over and over again. So now this young man has accumulated some things, partially by obeying God. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus challenges the area of this young man's heart that somehow had, he, somehow had, he had put his affections upon greater than trust in God. I don't think this is a teaching on not having stuff. It's a teaching on areas of our heart that somehow our affections can turn towards to. For whatever reason, maybe this man, oh, you know, if the economy goes bad, I got a hundred grand in the bank, I'll be okay, got the car paid off, got the mortgage paid off. If things go south, I'm good to go. What was he doing? He was putting his trust in temporal things greater than his trust in God. And the Holy Spirit, I found, loves to do this. He loves to challenge the areas of our heart that somehow are still affectionately anchored to this world or we have our hope and trust in. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus challenges that area, and, and I always say I keep this in mind. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, if you want to be perfect, go sell all you have and give to the poor. Ooh, let me read this actually from here. Sorry. If you want to be perfect, go sell all you have and give to the poor, and what? You will have treasure in heaven. Where's the trajectory of our hearts always supposed to be? In heaven. And but but here's the part that I always I always keep in mind. And come and follow me. Every time God challenges me in an area that maybe the affections of my heart are not anchored properly or somehow they're connected into this world system. I'm trusting this or I'm trusting this relationship. I'm trusting a little too much to come through for me. And God asked me to bring adjustment to it. I get to follow Jesus in an area I've never followed him before. Amen. 
And what's very interesting is, at least with me, sometimes he has. But many times the Holy Spirit has said to me, he's never told me what's on the other side of that. But often there's great fruit. Years ago, the Lord spoke to me and he said, um, you know, you can have all this stuff going on in your ministry. You can have people telling you how awesome you are and books and CDs and you can have money and invitations to preach everywhere. He said, but only you and me will know if you're doing what I'm asking you to do. And here's the other part. Matthew describes him as an unknown rich young ruler. Think about what Jesus is saying he can do there. He could have been one of the few people in the earth, five billion people in the earth right now. He could have been one of the few people. It's cool, we are gonna see Jesus, you know, all this stuff when we get to heaven. But the Bible's clear. There's something unique about the original 12. They're the only ones who are going to be remembered forever. They're going to have foundation stones in the new heaven and new earth. He could have been one who said, I was in Jesus Christ's evangelistic association. <laughs> I believe if he says yes, we know him forever. We know his name. That's just my belief. So don't allow the affections of this world to override following Jesus in a place you could not before. Here, here's, a, here's a thing too. Be really careful of saying, I could never do that. What you're doing is you're actually prophesying limitations over yourself. I've heard people, I could never go overseas. I just, ooh, it's so exciting. I was just in Maryland. This older lady, I think she's, I don't know. She's at least over 65. I was there last time. I said, the Lord's going to send you another, another nation. Part of your destiny is linked to another nation. Never left the country. She's going next month to Brazil for a month. <laughs> she was all excited. Never put defining things on your life. Never define yourself by culture. Well, you know, most of my families, we've, we've, never, we've never left this area. Gulf Shores is far for us, brother. <laughs> That's another question. Never allow culture to define your life in the kingdom. God's not opposed culture. He created culture. But culture can never override things in the kingdom. I know people in dead churches. I, mean, I don't need me to shoot that. They're dead. And they're, well, my parents have gone here our whole life. And it should be really hard if we leave. Really? You'd rather not upset your family than to be in the will of God for your life? Sorry. We stand before Jesus and I go, Mama didn't want me to go to that good church. <laughs> Come on. I mean, we just got to be real here anyway. So allow Jesus 
Allow yourself to follow him in places you've never gone. Never believe you can't do things. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Never let other people tell you you can't do something if God's told you you can do it. Never believe you have to live like the world. Never believe you're always going to have to borrow money to do things you need to do. Here's another way we grow. Faith must receive revelation. Faith must receive revelation. Look at Mark 6. Mark the 6th chapter. Mark the 6th chapter. Then he went from there and he came down to his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he has given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Hosus, Judas, and Simon, and not, our, and not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Verse 4. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went out about in the villages in a circuit teaching. Side thing, side, side note, I believe unbelief is one of the most accepted sins in the church. It's just very accepted and robs people of their destiny. But here's the reason why I use this series of scriptures. Is initially, those in his hometown are listening to Jesus, and they're listening to what he's saying. And uh, just another side note, if I encourage you to read Matthew uh, 13, the parable of the sower. Because Jesus spent extensive time talking about what would happen when he spoke the words of truth? What would happen when the seed was sown? How it could be robbed? But then he also says, I've intended it to bring 30, 60, and 100 full return. Pretty good deal. I'm going for 100 full return on everything. But what's very interesting is that some fell on the, on, 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 on the weeds and immediately was destroyed. Some people rejoiced, and then when difficult things happened, they lost it. What's interesting about the whole parable, Jesus is the sower of the word, and there's no deficiency when Jesus spoke. It was in the deficiency of the hearer. Like, God never misses it. And so... Initially, here in this story, Mark writes that they're going, man, Jesus, that's amazing, this guy. No one's ever spoke like that. Sure beats that bed boring stuff we've been hearing, you know. And so initially, their hearts come alive when they hear the words of life. There is a witness in their hearts that go, no one has ever spoken like that. No one's ever done the works like that. And no one ever, this, this, something's going on here. So what happens? There's a revelation to them of what comes in front of them. But then, and this is, this is in any area of their life, what you hear, the enemy will, will try and define you by your circumstances, by your environment, by everything around you. And this is what happens. They go, eh, hold on a second. It's Jesus. 
Joseph's son. You see, Jesus was in marketplace ministry before he ever became in full-time ministry. Most of his life was in marketplace ministry, yet he changed the world. Interesting, isn't it? He's a carpenter. That's what he did. He was nicer than Ikea, I guarantee you that. And they begin to go, oh, he's Joseph's son. He can't be. And they say the Messiah is not supposed to come from there. And we know he's never been to any Bible college. And no one's ever ordained him. And what? What happened? Their mind and what they understood tried to shut down the revelation and tried to keep them in unbelief. See, it's not enough to go, whoa, yeah, I heard that but you got to wrap your faith around what you've heard. That's why, and I certainly have arrived, but that's why anytime I'm in a meeting, I'm paying really close attention, and I'm also listening to the person leading the meeting. Why? Because I think whether it's a kid, woman, I'm, I'm always... I always want to listen to what they're saying because they've been put in charge and they're God, they're, they're the person standing between God and man. So if somebody says, lift your hands, I lift my hands. Why? Because I want to enter in what's happening into the room. I want to honor the authority of what's happening in the room. And it begins to shut down what God was saying. And what's very interesting the Spanish translation of, Ma of Mark 6, which is actually closer to the original language, actually says this. And Jesus wanted to do miracles, but he couldn't. How is it the Son of God, fully God, fully man, is standing right in front of him? Again, back to this concept. The ability to set people free. The ability to see marriages healed. The ability to set people free of cancer. Yet their posture towards him their inability to think like he wanted them to think in that moment. When you're thinking like God, it doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It just means that you're trusting the one who has it all figured out. Part of the challenge of the rest of faith is, is this, is that it, not that I'm working to enter into faith, but I'm constantly casting down vain imaginations, things that exalt. You should be worried about this. This is not good. You really need the money for this. And, and you, you're going, no, 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 no. I trust God. Trust God. Trust God. This is what he said. I trust him. Not my job to figure out. My job is to believe him. And that's a little more of a challenge for me as a type A personality. I'm, I'm thinking constantly three, five, four, five, six weeks ahead. How's this going to work? I don't know. It's going to work out really good, though. And any time I put myself at, or I trust one way of God doing things, he always shows me I'll do it a completely different this way this time. You're trusting that angle too much. But he's always been faithful. He's always been faithful. So whatever area it is, maybe one day you're reading scripture. I know for me, one of the most challenging ones I read over last year, a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I don't just think that's money. But the primary thing he's speaking about there is money. 
I believe it's righteous choices, all this other stuff. But I'm going, so God, what you're saying is my effect on this world should not only cover my children, but their children. That their children maybe will never have to work a day in their whole life. Not that, they, not that we won't have them work, but if they want to take a year off, they can take a year off. They can buy a house cash. I believe that, God. <laughs> and then you see some bills, and then you're like, oh, Jesus, how's that ever going to happen? No, it's my job to believe. My job is to obey. My job is to sow. But this is what you said. This is the biblical standard. And I'm a righteous man, God. So I don't know how that's going to happen, but here's what I'm believing. And part of the reason it's so critical that you break through into certain things is that your breakthrough, the place where you've broken through, where you begin to see the fruit, where you begin to see the manifestation of what God is now a place you can break other people into. Remember years ago, this is just the area of money thing, but years ago I was praying, I still pray this way, but I was praying one day and I was going, Lord, give me an anointing to change nations and cities and regions. And I always remember, not too far from me, about two hours from here north, he said to me, he said, why don't you just believe me for your rent this month? Oh, that's a good place to start, rent, yeah, I need rent. What was he doing? He was trying to teach me a principle. You're going to have to start right here, son. Trust me for your money. Now, it's trusting for money to minister in certain places, to minister to pastors, to minister to other people, food for children, money for building, infrastructure, the place where he's proved faithful to me. Now, it's a step further I can show the kindness of God in tangible ways for other people. It's way beyond your light bill. It's way beyond a new house for you. God's not, it's not opposed to any of that stuff, but it's about being able to be a facilitator of the kingdom to everyone around you. And let me start here. What you're willing to believe God for, he's willing to do. Had some things God told me. I'll give you the money for that in payment so you can believe me for the whole thing at the end of it. Right now. You won't ever have to make a payment to a bank. I said, I'll go, I'll go with your banking system. Here, two more. You got time for two more? The mind of Christ, let's go back to, let's read this again. Paul, can you put scripture up there? I don't know if that's possible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, and then we'll go to Ephesians 4. We read part of this, but I want to read it again. Well, actually, let's read 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13 through 16. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13 through 16. I don't know if we can put that up there. Let's see. So we can look at it together.
Okay, let's look at that. Which things we also speak, not, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thought with spiritual words. We can keep moving on there. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual praises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Just stop there for one second. Just as just an example here, the, the way God thinks, the way God perceives things, the way God calls us often to act in this world is completely different than the world system. It's not, it's not exactly normal to come to four sessions in two days at church. So an unregenerate mind or even a carnal believer go, why are you spending so much time in church? What are you doing? You give 10% of your money to the church. The church just wants your money. That's a, that's a devil that wants to keep you poor. That's a side. It's another issue. <laughs> and so you can't discuss the things of the kingdom with an un- unregenerate mind. One of my pet peeves is people who talk about the Bible, especially in the media, who aren't born again. I'm going to tell you what this says. The scripture says. No, you don't know the scripture. You can't, you can't understand anything in the scripture because you have a carnal mind. Okay, just keep on. But he who is spiritual, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him, but keep, that's the last phrase I wanted to look at. But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. Notice there, it did not say that individually we have the mind of Christ. Notice and say everything that we'll need, can, everything that we'll need is just we'll get in our own individual walk with the Lord. And here's why I'm emphasizing that. I'm going to make this point. It says we, corporately, we. The mind of Christ is best displayed in the, cul- in the corporate culture of the church. The mind of Christ is best displayed in the corporate culture of the church. Why? Because you are not saved unto yourself. You are not saved simply as an individual. You are actually saved into the body of Christ. And where God wants to... where. Your destiny, your individual destiny is always connected to the larger ecclesia, the larger church, and the larger church that God is building in the earth. I'll give you a few examples. I'm a person of a million questions. I'm constantly asking the Lord questions. I'm constantly asking about different things. And I remember one time, a number of years ago, I I was asking the Lord about something, and he said to me, he said, "Uh, I'm not going to tell you what you need to know about this area between you and me. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, my mind, I didn't say it out loud. I said, I was thinking to myself, why would you do that? And then he said to me, he said, if I told you, because I was getting very used to the Lord giving me at least some understanding of certain things I was asking about. He said to me, he said, "Uh, if I told you everything you need to know, just you and me, you would have no value for other people and the body of Christ. 
and I'm going to give you the answer to what you're asking me. I'm going to give you it through the voice of other people. And another, another way, I certainly have not arrived at this concept. Another way I learned this concept is this. Um, one time I was talking to the Lord, and I said to him, what's this thing? I go places and people call me a prophet. You've never told me I'm a prophet. What's, what's the deal with that? And he said, yes, I've told you you're a prophet. I said, really, when did you tell me that? I don't remember. He said, yeah, I've told you through other people for years. Now, now, a number of years later, I had an encounter where Jesus said some things prophetically that said I was a prophet. But why? Because salvation is not simply an individualistic thing. I'll give you another example. Book back there that you read, first book I had the privilege of writing. Me, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I didn't name that book. I had the subtitle the whole time. And about six months before that book came out, I have a good friend of mine. And he came, and he sat with me, and he said, uh, he said uh, it was right, right after Christmas one year, and I just wanted to eat dinner. It was after a meeting. He had ministered somewhere else, so we met kind of in the city. And he said, we need to name your book. I said, I just want to eat. And for the next 20 minutes, different names were thrown out. And suddenly, time stopped for a minute. And I think he said, creation reborn. And everybody, like six of us at the table. That's the name of the book. Just resonated. That's the word of the Lord. I didn't pray about it anymore. It was just one of these things. That's what God just said. Give you another example. I have wonderful, not only board directors, but like people I consider family members. How I approach decisions, how I approach decisions that I'll make in my personal life and my ministry life. You know, I go to them, hey, this is what I feel like God is saying. What do you think about that? Do you think that's accurate? And almost every time I go, yeah, we think you're on the right path, but have you considered A, B, and C? Oh, no, I never thought about that. And within the context of discussion, of wisdom, of sometimes prophecy, you go, that's the will of God right there. Why? Because you're not saved to yourself. If you're saved to yourself, the disciples would not have needed three and a half years with Jesus. But then they also stayed together. Often people... There's a question often of, uh, you know, uh, what's the will of God? What should I be doing? I got this ministry call. I'm a prophet. I'm an apostle. I'm the greatest thing ever. You know, like, whatever. That's awesome. Believe in you. But I've never found anyone who didn't know what the will of God was, who was pursuing God, a lifestyle of fellowship with God, was pursuing a lifestyle of power, and was part of a community that goes, I just don't know what the will of God is. I'm confused. I don't know what to do with my calling. Why? Because the will of God is always understood within the context of a community. I'm not suggesting that people be abused. I'm not suggesting any of that. I know, it's, I know sometimes that hand has been overplayed in the body of Christ. But it doesn't take out the truth 
that God builds his people and we understand the will and the mind of God through the corporate mind of the church. If you're in the right community where God intends you to be, then every time your pastor, your leader, however form that comes in, I, you know, it could be house church, this, whatever, however form that comes in, it, you will hear the heart of God for your life. Thank, I'm very thankful. I think 49 out of 52 Sundays this year, 50 out of 52 Sundays, I have somewhere to go. Last Sunday, I heard months ago, the Lord said, I want you to take a few days off. Okay, no problem. It's not one of those things you argue with. And I was ready for a break. <laughs> it's good to listen to the Holy Spirit. I went to church on Sunday. Why? Because I'm a member of a church. And I heard my pastor articulate the heart of God that I needed to hear that day. When people tell me there's no community that they can connect with around them, my question is, are you living in the right place? And if you're living in the right place and you can't find a place to connect to, the issue is probably you. I know that's a strong statement, but you're either living in the wrong place or there's something inside of you that can't step into a community bigger than yourself. It might be for a season. It might not be your exact paradigm. I was just saying, it. he doesn't mind me saying, I have disagreements with my own pastor and I'm right. No. <laughs> We've learned to disagree to disagree. But I don't, I don't think I know more than him. I always respect him. But the mind of Christ is displayed in the corporate culture of the church. This is how it is. Thankfully, my best friends is back there. We call each other. We open our hearts to each other. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, can you pray for me? We need each other. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you, you uh, just arbitrarily just start, you know, I call them spiritual nudists. They're just like, oh, Lord Jesus. Like, <laughs> you meet them half a second. You know, I was abused when I was four and, you know, first husband hated me. You know, like, I'm not suggesting any of that because we've done such a poor job of, of stewarding and hearing people. But I am suggesting you've got to find a place where you can connect to bigger than yourself. And when you go, don't freak them out by telling them how awesome you are. Just go and do what they ask you to do. Here's the last one. I said two, I just want this one more. Then if we have any questions, we'll get into that. Refuse to allow your spirit to be affected by things contrary to the mind of the Lord and the revelation he's spoken over your life. Uh, one last verse for that other thing I was talking about. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go awari. Proverbs 4. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my saying. See, the focus is not on 
things contrary to the will of God. The focus is always on what God said. And when you focus on what God said, you don't have time to think about anything else. And I've, and I, and I've had this, this thing hit me in about May when I was listening to some teaching. This thing hit me in May. Any time I spend time, time meditating on something, focusing on depression or worry or fear, or focusing on something I shouldn't, or focusing on, on, on an unsanctified thought, it is filling a space in my mind that God intended to be filled with his thoughts. So I don't want to, like, I'm really big on not wasting time, so it's like, I don't want to waste time doing that. There's other brilliant thoughts I need to be having in this moment. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all your flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. 2 Corinthians 10 now. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are carnal, but might are not carnal, but in the mighty and pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And I have just learned that many times for me, because not only does faith come by hearing, but also unbelief and, and also ungodly thoughts. So sometimes we've heard something over and over again that it has become a real part of our belief system. So a good place to start is we renounce those thoughts, but we also have to... I, I, I always say, when God is emphasizing a subject in my life, I don't change it because... I have to let, I'm listening, I was listening to something uh, from four or five years ago of a teaching of a conference I did with another speaker, and there's some things that that speaker said that still have not totally shifted my mind. So I'm listening over and over and over and over and over and over. And I know I'm starting to change the way I think about something when something contrary to what God has said in his word or prophetically, the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, this is what God has said. And sometimes I get a little nuts. I was at a meeting. I was having lunch like last October and a leader said, and who can do that? I said, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because this is what God has said over my life. And everybody turned to me. And I said, ooh, maybe I should have kept that to myself. <laughs> I wasn't trying to assault that person in a weird religious way. It was just, but I was kind of excited when I was driving home. I was like, ooh, good, it's in there. I'm not thinking stupid. <laughs> 